Welcome to a new episode of Technoculture. I am Federica Bressan, and today my guest is Dmitry Kaminsky, founder and managing partner at the Deep Knowledge Group, a consortium of organizations focused on deep tech, AI, and longevity. Welcome, Dmitry. Hello. It's my pleasure to be here today. So longevity is much more than just extending the human life. How we achieve this goal and all the consequences that come with that have so many ramifications that actually you consider in your work. So we have so much ground to cover today. Let me ask you right away, how do you understand longevity and how is that different from aging? Okay, so aging, as you can understand quite easily, uh, has some negative connotation. Aging, it is a degradation of uh, you know, the body uh, and some uh, negative uh, uh, biological process associated with aging. For longevity, these technologies uh, and methods and uh, treatments uh, which are capable to provide extension of healthy, active, productive uh, period of life. In other words, to delay aging as much as possible. All right. So, you know, in this podcast on episode 11, I covered transhumanism. Transhumanism is the radical use of science and technology to achieve the extension of human life and what the human body can do. So how is this different than what you do or what is the overlap there? Okay, uh, transhumanists, in other words, could be also named radical techno-optimists. They have hopes, they have assumptions that in 20, 25 years from now, they will be achieved singularity, they will be extremely advanced technologies capable to extend life very significantly, but at the same time, even to make so-called might implode. So like, uh, you know, to transform human into cloud, into digital, into virtual personality. So that will mean immortality, actually. So they, they believe that either body will be capable to uh, apply some technology which will be almost infinitely to extend uh, biological life or to make a mind implode. But this is about, you know, far future and uh, there is not enough yet clarity Whether and when it will happen, and when whether this mind upload will be possible at all. At the same time, currently, with currently existing technologies, there are many people naming themselves biohackers who are applying already now existing technologies. They are doing also some radical stuff in the sense that they are experimenting on their own bodies, trying to achieve something with currently existing technology. So in our case, we are not uh, so radical as biohackers. Uh, we are kind of also expanding on our own bodies, including me, doing it, uh, you know, in a little bit more risk-adverse and uh, science-driven way uh, without uh, too much, uh, you know, exceeding uh, risk level and uh, those experiments were kind of done in, in a reasonable, uh, pragmatic way. At the same time, we are not uh, so much abstract as transhumanists who are thinking about too much far future. So we are thinking about comparatively close future and we are applying technological forecasting to predict and, uh, you know, to actually, first of all, to predict for us ourselves and to invest in those technologies and to, to bring them, you know, to market uh, faster. We are talking about such periods of time, like three years, five years, 10 years. And uh, we are naming this techno-pragmatism. All right. So how does longevity look like? Like in three, five years, how long will we be able to live? Seven years ago, eight years ago, when I entered this field of aging research and, you know, longevity technology, longevity industry, 
to talk about that people can live up to 120 years or average lifespan will uh, become 100 years. It was considered as fringe, as a kind of, you know, absolutely too much optimistic. In nowadays, it is absolutely normal that uh, quite established businessmen, quite established, uh, even maybe politicians, they are talking about that there will be uh, technologies already now uh, capable to deliver probably lifespan for particular individuals up to 120 years. Some of them even talking about 150 years or even 200 years. And this is not considered as, let's say 120 years is considered now normal and uh, expectation that some developed countries with very well developed healthcare systems, uh, the life expectancy will grow up to 100 years. Just for understanding that in uh, Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore, they are almost already there. So they have, you know, 87, 90 years, 92 years, uh, life expectancy with uh, health life expectancy around 82, 86 years. That means that uh, those people on average, uh, they're not only living longer, but they're living healthier longer. So the healthy period of life is uh, quite significantly longer. And uh, this is quite significant achievement. My point is that maybe in 10 years from now, to talk about that life expectancy will be 120 years, it will be already quite pessimistic. All right. And you mentioned that you are conducting some experiment on yourself, actually. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Let's say I can tell only a little bit about that. But uh, in our group, we have approximately 10 analytical subsidiaries and 10 analytically focused companies, including, for example, Neurotech Analytics. This is about, uh, you know, narrow enhancement and helpful brains. We have Space Tech Analytics, and this is about space exploration, but also about space medicine which is uh, quite important for agent research um, and uh, several others uh, focused on AI, deep tech, blockchain, so on and so forth. But the first one in our group of uh, analytical subsidiaries, it was agent agency. It was established back in 2013. And this company, to my knowledge, uh, the only one currently existing analytical company specifically focused on science of aging, uh, technology, business of longevity, even longevity politics. And the point is that within that company, we have specific uh, department named Practical Longevity, uh, several tens of analysts specifically working on analyzing all uh, currently existing technologies, so technologies which are estimated to be soon close to the market. And uh, they're analyzing also how they're safe, how they're not safe, uh, what could be side effects. And uh, those technologies which are recommended, you know, to already to use and to apply, maybe in some... Uh, uh, let's say subtherapeutic dosages so with some uh, adjusted uh, you know regimes so we are in opinion that it's reasonable to use them in particular if we are talking uh, about such floors uh, one of the quite efficient and really working it is uh, so-called intermediate hypoxia hyperoxia training many people know about this technology through awareness about uh, hyperbaric chambers Hyperbaric chambers, it's one of the less specific regime, how that intermediate interval hypoxia, hyperoxia training are actually used. So in hyperbaric chamber, there's excess of oxygen. There are another uh, technology, so similar, they're providing similar effect. In some cases, more efficient. They're using, let's say, deficit of oxygen. So in my case, I'm using a specific uh, machine, training machine. Initially, it was uh, developed within... Soviet space medicine program, and it was used for Soviet cosmonauts training, preparing them, and also for some kind of 
divers and uh, let's say people you know who are expected to be in some extreme environments. This uh, technology, just for understanding, it's it is providing capability to train your mitochondria to withdraw a weak mitochondria from cells and uh, to boost the regeneration of uh, uh, mitochondrial cells. This is, uh, let's say, energy you know accumulators of cells. At the same time, this mitochondrial dysfunction is one of the most uh, uh, root causes of aging associated with, uh, you know, the, let's say, uh, aging associated, um, uh, you know, dysfunction of the body. You mentioned space medicine. I wonder, why does it have such a big role? Just because astronauts age faster when they're out in orbit? You know, it's so fascinating that we may exploit this technology on Earth, although we will become a space-faring species, but that now already space medicine helps us delay aging. So in space, astronauts, they're exposed to extreme negative uh, impact of a uh, you know, number of factors, starting with uh, zero gravity, in- increased radiation, and many other you know, uh, issues um, which are already known, and many of them unknown. And let's say some of them are known uh, when uh, humans are comparatively close to comparatively close to Earth. But if we will talk about going to Mars in the full deep space, so there will be a lot of unknowns and uh, unpredictable, uh, you know, uh, negative consequences. But even with uh, what we already know so far, uh, zero gravity provides extremely negative. Uh, effect on uh, mitochondria and as i mentioned mitochondria is uh, also shaped with aging or mitochondrial dysfunction is associated with aging in other words what astronauts experience in space it's uh, from biological point of view it's very similar to what could be named accelerated aging astronauts however currently it's uh, people who are actually sent to space uh, by definition they are very healthy they have very strong immune system when they're getting back to Earth, the immune system is capable to restore this, uh, you know, damages which happened, that, you know, negative uh, consequence of being in space. Uh, this is, uh, it is absolutely not clear what will happen with, uh, let's say, uh, you know, not so young people, if all people will be sent uh, to space. Uh, we have some, you know, assumption that uh, once they will get back to Earth, those damages, they will be not uh, fully restored. And this, uh, you see, Space medicine is also differentiated from Earth medicine in the sense that uh, in space, doctors, uh, they're actually making some advanced uh, scientific R&D, let's say folks to, to protect the uh, health of uh, astronauts. They're also human centers. Uh, whereas on Earth, it, uh, you know, it's through the decades, it happens so that scientists who are working on uh, anything related to aging, they, are not, uh, they don't have any you know, deadlines or, you know, strict uh, when they need to solve problems fast, like uh, really, you know, in days or hours. So they have close to unlimited, you know, timelines and they can make unlimited, you know, uh, experiments on model organisms, uh, which are not, uh, so let's say the mindset is uh, not human-centered. Uh, on the other hand, everything what will be working in space and those extreme hazardous environments and will protect health of astronauts if uh, those technologies will be applied on Earth in normal environments. So apparently they will work like 100% guaranteed they will work. Maybe better and maybe more efficient. Or let's say 
they will also work not only for super healthy people, but also for people with some, you know, health conditions, maybe all people. So when an astronaut goes to space now, we can indeed observe what would happen to one of us in similar health conditions if the process of aging were accelerated. On Earth, normally, research aimed at extending human life is conducted with model organisms. What is the problem with that, in your view? Okay, so in biotech industry, in biopharma industry, uh, the currently existing framework for R&D, for research and development, for experiments, for, uh, you know, validation, uh, approval of uh, different drugs and treatments, for assessment of their uh, safety and efficiency. During uh, decades, it started 70, 50 years ago, uh, there was established a system when uh, experiments first, uh, they conducted on mice. And if they're showing very systematically positive results, then on in very limited um, level, they also uh, try out on humans. And if they're showing uh, absence of any kind of sad, uh, negative uh, effects, like any toxicity, or any, any kind of issues, then uh, they try out on uh, more broader groups of people. So this is uh, human clinical trials, uh, several stages of them. Uh, in case of uh, biotech industry, pharma corporations are focused on uh, finding the drugs and treatments focused on one specific disease. So one specific treatment is treating one specific disease. It is named one specific target. So the uh, genetic and biological let's say, pattern of diseases evolving in um, animals, including mice, uh, they're similar to humans. That's why their drugs or treatments which worked on, on mice, in many cases then uh, after that uh, could be translated to humans and there are some statistics how many of them actually succeed in humans. So the point is that only 8% of those treatments which provided positive result in mice they were translated to humans. That was with disease treatment, with, you know, sick treatment. When we're talking about aging and longevity, this is, uh, we have assumption that aging is absolutely different. Like uh, it's much more complex, like maybe 1,000 times more complex than any uh, one single disease or even combination of disease. In other words, if it worked more traditional biotech, biomedicine industry, uh, there's no, you know, significant evidence that this translation in case of aging research and uh, actual practical human longevity will work similar as it was uh, working in uh, biotech industry. We have estimation that if the failure rate in biopharma industry is 8%, actually success ratio is 8%, failure rate is 92 uh, correspondingly, that in case of uh, longevity, the success translational ratio will be only 1%. That means that mice is absolutely not, if it was sufficient for biopharma industry, will be absolutely not sufficient for longevity industry. And we need, uh, and we are we considering that uh, uh, in my um, upcoming book, Longevity Biomarkers, I'm providing some, uh, you know, results and some evidence that mice uh, as an experimental model is outdated model. It's not sufficient, it's not, you know, up to date for 21st century uh, for aging research and for practical human longevity. We need new, much more robust, much more sophisticated, data science, AI-driven uh, platforms for experiments. And the only one uh, real biological uh, sufficient platform, it is human body. However, the experiments, the you know, assessments, that should be driven by very strong, very advanced data science with very strong AI algorithms to assess 
and um, there will be no any negative uh, side effects before even starting any trials. You just mentioned you have a book coming out, Biomarkers of Human Longevity. What are these biomarkers to begin with? Domain of uh, biopharma, uh, biotech, especially biomedicine, biomarkers are absolutely crucial. It's like markers or metrics with which you can assess in advance whether any results could be, you know, uh, tangibly positive or negative. You can in real time assess uh, whether any treatments are providing any positive or negative results. Uh, for example, 10 years ago, cancer you know, was considered similar to death sentence. So, you know, it, it was like a almost untreatable disease. In nowadays, cancer, in many cases, it's complex, but nevertheless treatable disease or, you know, manageable disease. And uh, tremendous progress in uh, cancer and oncology uh, field happened because cancer biomarkers, it's one of the most well-developed field of uh, biomarkers research in general. And uh, because... Uh, you know, doctors can uh, understand very well uh, the picture of cancer and test and uh, understand whether any uh, drugs or any treatments actually worked or not worked. So th this is one of the crucial uh, elements which accelerated actual cancer research and, you know, and boosted some, including investments, including, you know, a lot of uh, initiatives uh, which provided very strong positive results in, in uh, oncology and uh, as a kind of, you know, sub-industry of uh, biomedicine. So that's why uh, biomarkers, it's crucial for any biomedical industry in longevity. Uh, the field of biomarkers is yet underdeveloped. There's quite a lot of activities during the uh, last two years, but uh, there was not enough, let's say, three or five years. That's why we can expect that uh, the real strong progress, you know, strong development in this field will happen in the next two, three years, and that will be the crucial uh, turning point in the entire growth of uh, longevity instinct, including uh, science longevity, you know, actual uh, progress in uh, practical application of human longevity, uh, practical applications of uh, preventive medicine, personalized medicine. This will lead to really strong progress uh, in five, seven years, also in more advanced, uh, um, you know, really rejuvenation technologies such as uh, stem cells, uh, reprogramming, such as uh, anti-agent gene therapies. And uh, with that, we can expect that uh, approximately 10 years from now, uh, those technologies uh, will also reach market and uh, people will actually will be able at least to freeze their biological age. And uh, in 15 years from now, also already start to reverse it, to rejuvenate their biological age. So with the help of technology, you think that it's actually possible not just to delay the process of aging, but to revert it in part or for certain parts of the body. We're talking about rejuvenation. First of all, those technologies, many of them already now existing. Uh, however, uh, they, uh, if they would be applied on humans now, uh, they will bring uh, side effects, negative side effects. Some of them, uh, let's say, can cause, they will rejuvenate, but they will also can cause cancer, unfortunately. And uh, on the other hand, in 10 years from now, in 15 years from now, science and technology will understand how you know, to switch off negative side effects, how to kind of provide through those treatments only positive effects of uh, rejuvenation. So in other words, it is not about whether this technology will work or not, it's only about when they will work because some of them will work in five years from now in the sense that uh, in five years from now, we will see that uh, 
they could be applied without in a safe mode without a negative side effects. Uh, some of them will be market ready in 10 years. I think that many, many like there will be a balance of them in, in 15 years. In order to achieve these goals of longevity and of course a healthy long life, technology seems to have a very crucial role. Like we're not going to get there without the help of technology. And in particular, artificial intelligence is key to achieving these goals. Can you talk a little bit about how central this role of AI is? Yes. So if in 10 years from now, there will be estimated 10 years from now, there will be technology for rejuvenation, so-called, you know, a little bit more radical technologies. However, already now, there's quite a lot of uh, technologies which actually can uh, help to delay aging. In five years from now, there will be a lot of them. And to actually apply them in a reasonable, in a, in a sophisticated way, we need to apply very strong data science to healthcare, to, you know, um, say healthy lifestyle management. This is uh, much more complex than most people uh, can think. And the only one way how to make it uh, in a really tangible, really, you know, like a really workable way that it will be really deliver practical results, it's uh, uh, only if that advanced data science uh, will be managed by artificial intelligence. In other words, to achieve any reasonable practical results in the foreseeable future, we first of all shall apply artificial intelligence for, uh, in a personalized way, for management of uh, your uh, health. What is a digital twin? A number of companies, approximately six of them, uh, are now developed their panels for biomarkers to such extent that it could be considered as prototype of digital avatar. Digital avatar is a combination of all your like uh, biomarkers or any data uh, which is emulated into virtual environment as if it is your digital avatar. That means that all your life and healthcare data, all, you know, diagnostics on all MRI scans, uh, all parameters of uh, biomarkers, and many other, other uh, biomedical parameters, if they would be aggregated in, in some kind of cloud computing system, so that could be like considered as a digital avatar and also visualized actually digital avatar with some, you know, dashboard for uh, quite uh, advanced, sophisticated, you know, analytics. Now, if this digital avatar will be, you know, really developed, uh, let's say for, you know, next uh, level, next generation, you can consider that digital avatar as a digital twin. Uh, because when we're talking again about longevity, we're talking about data science. That data science should be somehow structures, uh, you know, that uh, actually, science to be applied in a reasonable, uh, sophisticated way, the data should be structured. And uh, this digital avatar and digital twin is just the way how in the modern world, the data about your all process, uh, like biomedical, biological process shaped with your body, how they could be structured. All right, so it's like a model of me and we can make simulations with that model. Even more, it is virtual model of you and there is such a type of experimentation and research named in silica when experiments uh, would be done with the help of artificial intelligence virtually, and uh, there will be assessment and prediction uh, what is healthy for you and what is unhealthy. In other words, before doing anything, that anything, that something should be uh, trialed on this uh, digital avatar. So um, something that is really interesting about your work is that with such 
I don't even want to call it optimism because for you it's just a matter of time. It's not even of belief that we will live longer and healthier. This will reshape society. For example, we're going to talk about this a little bit, but something that I wanted to mention is this thing in our society that, in fact, we don't talk about enough, which is ageism, which is a form of discrimination that affects senior citizens. How does your work tackle this? You know, in Europe, in some uh, developed countries, including, for example, UK, there are quite a lot of initiatives uh, to tackle down the problem of uh, uh, financial inclusion in the sense that there are at least two billions of people somewhere in Africa and Latin America which are not financially uh, included. First of all, uh, because they're not digitally included. They are not uh, having access to internet. They don't have smartphones. And, and with that, for them, it's quite problematic you know, to, to have access to any even basic uh, features of modern uh, civilization, including uh, integration with any fintech or banking or financial services. And this is a very significant problem. But just in the UK, out of 70 millions of people, 10 millions are in retirement. And most of those people, uh, they are discriminated in the sense that, you know, they're not treated as as equal members uh, of society. This is normal that they... Uh, you know, they do not have uh, equal access to, let's say, fintech services. And when we are talking about financial inclusion, the most excluded financially uh, category of people, it's actually all people. Because, for example, uh, you hardly will find any one non-profit uh, uh, foundation which is working on financial inclusion of all people in developed societies. But there, there are quite a lot of charities which are working on financial inclusions of young people somewhere in, you know, uh, Africa, let's say so. Uh, one of our projects, uh, one of the projects which we are supporting, it is longevity banking card. Uh, this is fintech fintech project, but it, it will provide uh, services specifically designed for all people and even very old people, like, uh, you know, older than 70, 80 years. Because for them, even devices, how they communicate with fintech services, it should be not smartphones, it should be tablets, it should be, you know, big buttons and uh, there should be voice commands and the hardware, software, and even a specific approach, how to communicate with them, it should be very different, not uh, as it is normal, you know, with younger people for fintech service. So the, my point is that uh, this is one example. There's quite a lot of other examples. Uh, this is very, uh, you know, big topic for discussion. But my point is that uh, I think that countries where life expectancy will, will be growing, countries where health life expectancy, such as Singapore and Japan, uh, will be growing and is growing. So they will uh, pay more and more attention uh, also on even political level, not only on policy level, uh, you know, to, to provide equal uh, rights and actual access to all uh, services equally as young for young people, uh, the same for old and very old people. So to conclude, because unfortunately our time is running out today, we have covered a lot of ground, but as just you were saying, the impact of successfully extending the human life and reshaping society is manifold on many aspects of life. And you are a prolific author, so you actually deal with these aspects of the issue in your work. Would you like to briefly give an overview and mention the different sectors uh, of life and finance and technology that uh, you wrote about, for example, and that longevity will um, make a difference for? Yeah. So first of all, uh, in all uh, my books, uh, there's, you know, the core 
idea that we are facing now two uh, big mega trends on global scale. One of them, aging population, there are more than 1 billion people in retirement globally. You can consider them as citizens of seventh continent. On the other hand, we have uh, we are witnessing extreme growth of very advanced technologies, AI-driven, data science-driven, you know, technologies for preventive medicine, for personalized medicine, a lot of breakthroughs in, uh, you know, applications of uh, digital medicine, AI and healthcare. So these two global megatrends, Asian population and uh, health longevity being uh, accelerated by impact of uh, technologies and AI. When we are considering uh, longevity industry, indeed, it is the biggest and most complex industry in human history. Uh, my first book, uh, Longevity Industry 1.0, defining uh, the biggest and most complex industry in human history. That was about what is industry right now and what uh, you know sectors, components are actually comprising uh, them. We identified 20 sectors which are actually comprising longevity industry. It is uh, medicine, it is uh, young healthcare, it is also uh, neurotech, you know, health of brains. It is also age tech. This serves specifically for all people. And there's a lot of uh, other you no know, specific uh, domains. My uh, next book will be Longevity Biomarkers because this is the very crucial uh, metrics. Without metrics, you can't uh, talk uh, in any tangible, reasonable way regarding any industry. Longevity in particular, because this is the most, uh, not only most complex, but also most deep to extend human life, especially health period of life. It, it will require very deep technology, very deep, deep tech, advanced technologies. And um, the last book in this series, series will be Longevity Institute 2.0, Deep Tech Engineering, uh, the Positive Trajectory and Sustainable Growth of Longevity Institute. So it will be about uh, what technologies will, uh, will be developed in five to 10 years from now. It is about technological forecasting and also identifying the most crucial roadblock and uh, slow down um, factors which uh, will uh, have to be resolved definitely and uh, ensured to be resolved in five years from now that will be uh, guaranteed that in 10 years from now, positive results of technological progress will be delivered to people in terms of practical longevity and actually on a global scale. So it's also you know, about distribution of this knowledge, uh, expertise and technologies across all humanity. I find the span of your work interesting because sometimes... Technology runs ahead of all the rest. And actually, we have to think ahead uh, about at policy level how to keep this development sustainable. And I like to agree with you that it's a matter of when and not if. So wouldn't it be nice if we could have another interview in 20 years and look just the same? Because either we haven't aged or we could revert in part that process but today, I would like to encourage the audience to visit your website to learn more at uh, kaminsky.info to check out your books. And I would like to thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you very much. It was my great pleasure also. Thank you for listening to Technoculture. Check out more episodes at technoculture-podcast.com or visit our Facebook page at Technoculture Podcast and our Twitter account, hashtag Technoculture Podcast.